You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Father, we thank you because our hallelujah, our praise, the breath in our lungs, you deserve it. It is yours and Lord, we come to pour it out at your altar again this morning in gratitude for who you are, in gratitude for what you've done. We thank you. Receive our worship. Receive our praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. And if you believe that God has received your worship and your praise this morning, you will say, Amen and Amen and Amen. Hallelujah. Put your hands together. You may take your seat. Thank you so much for coming to church today. We are so happy to have you here. Um, I want to say a special hello to our online audience. As I, you know, it is amazing to be here. I am a little bit... <laughs> I'm a little bit, <laughs> but God is able, God is able, and God will help me, amen? amen? Amen. So I have entered full PI mode because I've done, for Labi, come and sing for me. I have, um, oh yeah, what haven't I done? I haven't acknowledged my pastor, that's another thing PI does. So please put your hands together and help me acknowledge Pastor Busola, wherever she is. I'm going to find you, ma, and we'll have a discussion because you put me on the spot. And then, obviously, in similar PI fashion, I'm going to make fun about Ibadan, so you can expect that. But thank you so much for coming to church today. We're happy to have you here. And um, thank you to our online audience for joining us. We're happy to have you here as well. Um, so in the, on, the heels, on the heels of our Accelerate Conference last week, um, we're going into a new teaching series this week, and we'll be talking about greater faith. And so I want you to just pay attention, let's remove all distractions. You know, now's not the time for Instagram and social media. We're talking about the key to entering into the fullness of what God has planned for us in this second half of the year. So I want to encourage you, pay attention and let God speak to you and let's take keys from here that we can start to use to access the will of God in the next six months, amen. All right, let us pray as we enter the word of God. Father, we are grateful. We thank you because unto the Lord shall the gathering of his people be. Lord, I come, first of all, to humble myself under your mighty hand. I realize that this word is the matchless, infinite word of God. And I realize that I do not have the wherewithal to speak your word. But Lord, I know you will give me grace. And so Lord, I ask for fresh grace that you place it upon my heart and my lips so that I will speak as an oracle of God. I ask, Lord, that you breathe upon this written word, this logos, and make it living, vibrant, rhema, that will cut deep into the heart of everybody here present. Lord, I ask that your power will flow from me, from you, through me to the people. It will do an effectual and effective work in every heart. It will cause our wills to be more humble, our minds to be more enlightened by the revelation knowledge of your word, and our emotions to be more controlled by your spirit. Father, I thank you because your word says out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you ordained strength thank you lord we give you praise and worship in jesus name we have prayed amen, amen. all right let's dive right in first of all i'm going to do a pibws thing this time it's not correct but i will use it no problem uh, when i become resident pastor of life points london people will not be giving me 32 minutes all right so let's talk about it greater faith um so i'll start with a quickie baron joke in very PI fashion. I grew up in Ibadan, as some of you may know. 
Um, and I remember the first time, I must have been six, seven years old, when my father said to me, okay, you and all your many siblings and your cousins and, you know, and all my uncles are going to what we call amusement park. Now, for those of you who, are, who have traveled and are edu- you, know, you have gone abroad, it's what we call a theme park. But in Ibarra, nothing about themes. We are here for amusement. So it's an amusement park. And when we went to the amusement park, Transatlantic, God bless your soul, you gave me so many good memories. Um, that's what it was called, Trans Amusement Park. Um, and we got there, and so we had gone on all the, you know, safe rides, you know, the ones where you just bash each other, boop, 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 and all of that. And then my dad said, oh, you know, we're going on to this ride called The Dragon. <laughs> now, first of all, you know, it sounded okay when we were going in, because, ah, Dragon, how bad can it be? I mean, Dragon is a bit scary, but we, we did now, we move. And then we got to what is a roller coaster. Now, I look back and I realized it wasn't really much of a roller coaster, but you know, that's what Ibarron people would call a roller coaster. It didn't do any loop-de-loops and it didn't go upside down. It was just like, you know, and it came back. But for me at six years old, this was the scariest thing I had ever seen. And my father is saying to all of us, oh yeah, okay now, let's go. And I'm a lomo. First of all, I only have one life to live. <laughs> yeah, tell me I should go on this thing that's going and it's doing all kinds of gym. Nah, 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 not me. But as you know, as my dad started to explain to me what it was about, and you know, I had seen a couple of other people go ahead, I suddenly had the trust to go on this ride. You know, and I believe that I mean, you know, Wally did it, Shion did it, you know, Boson, all of them, they've all done it, any fair. So me too, I can go and I'll come back and I'll be alright. But the real reason why I was confident was because one, I knew my father. I knew that he wasn't going to put me in danger. And my father had tried to explain the laws of physics to a six-year-old, just explain to me that, look, this thing is secure. It was done by some Chinese people. It wasn't done by Wasiu down the road. So you can trust that it's going to be okay. And so in that knowledge, I trusted my father's, you know, advice and I went on this ride and it was exhilarating as exhilarating as a small roller coaster can be in Ibarra but it was wonderful and the truth about it is for many of us we go through life with this trust you sit on a chair you trust that the chair isn't going to break under you you get up in the morning you get into your car you start it you trust that it's going to start we go through life with that trust. It's, it's built in us. But again, it's also because we've seen so many things around us that have made us understand that, look, this thing works. And so we trust it. And so the question then now is, what is the difference between trust and faith? And that's what we're going to try and address today. Because a lot of people, we see a lot of Christians use the words, you know, interchangeably, oh, faith and trust. Yes, in a sense, they are. But in another sense, there's a deeper meaning to faith. And that's what we want to try and address today. So I'm going to use the scripture to just try and encapsulate this. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. And if you have your Bibles, please, I would advise that you open it with me and we'll read it together. We're going to do quite a bit of that today. We'll open our Bibles and read. So 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. In the Passion Translation, it says, For I have an intimate revelation of this God, and my faith in him convinces me that he is more than able to keep all that I have placed in his hands safe and secure. The real difference between trust and faith is that faith comes from an understanding of who the person is that's making that promise to you. Faith says the person who is making this promise to me matters. The reason why I had faith in my dad was because I knew him. 
I knew that he was a man of his word. I knew that he wasn't going to put me in harm's way. And I knew that last, last, he's a man of prayer. If the thing should hook in the middle of the air, he would pray it down. But honestly, the real emphasis was the person who was making that promise to me was what kept my faith secure. So how do we now define faith? And I'm going to just use the Bible definition, which if any of you have been to any good Sunday school or any church in the last decade, you know this one. It's um, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And I'm trusting that it will be on the screen. But okay, let me just read it from my Bible. So Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'll read it again. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And a lot of people hold on to that. that ah, faith is what I hope for. And once I can hope for it, I have faith. But the real basis for your faith is that second part of the scripture, the evidence of things not seen. I'll put it this way. The degree to which you have evidence of things not seen is the degree to which your faith will be manifested. The people who can see things that do not exist are the ones who have the true understanding of how things work. Albert Einstein will put forward a theory of relativity or, you know, theory of electromagnetism or, you know, Newton's law of motion. There's nothing in the air that they see, but they have an understanding of the forces that are at work. They understand that the reason why this thing falls to the ground is because there's an invisible force called gravity that's pulling it down. The reason why this car moves is because there's a force of thrust that's pushing it. Now, if I tell you what is thrust, you can't show me thrust. You can't show me gravity, but we know it's real because we have the evidence of it. We see things go up and come down, so we know that that force is there. The degree, and that's the same way it is in the spiritual realm, the degree to which you understand the invisible things of God is the degree of faith that you have. The proportion of faith that you have is is directly proportional to the amount of understanding you have of the invisible things of God. And so that's my question to you today. And as we go through the rest of the, the, the discussion, I will start to bring up questions. And I want you to ask you yourself those questions. What do I understand about God's invisible ways? How knowledgeable am I about the way God works? Because it is only the person who says, I know who God is. I know what he is about and how he operates that I can trust. That's why I can trust him. Only the person who understands the God they can't see, knows him, understands what he is about, and understands how he operates, those are the people who have true faith. A lot of us will say, ah, I know God, but how well do you know him? You say, I know of God, but how well do you know how he operates? Do you know his character? Do you know his mannerisms? Do you know the way he talks, the way he speaks, or is it just something you've heard? That is the real question. That is the true definition of faith. And so I'm going to start to break down slowly why we need this kind of faith. Now, let's start from the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 28. So if you open your Bibles with me, it's on the screen, and I'll read it. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. That's the whole camp meeting, but it's not today. Okay, by the way, let me shamelessly plug in our maturity initiatives here because we've talked about this in maturity class. 
if you come for Bible study or any of our maturity initiatives, these are the things we talk about. We break it down. So this is a shameless invitation to you. Please come for Bible study. Please come. And it's not because I'm the leader, but it is because I'm one of the leaders. Come for Bible study. So you can learn how to dissect some of these things. But let's go on to verse 28. Verse 28. Okay, and it says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth. That was God's mandate to Adam. God intended for Adam to use his God-likeness, his understanding of how God works and operates to fulfill this mandate. He didn't just say to Adam in a vacuum. God actually gave Adam the capacity, the ability, the mental wherewithal, the physical wherewithal to be able to fulfill this mandate in Garden of Eden. Adam was doing amazing things. He would, the Bible says that God brought all the animals before Adam and asked Adam to inspect them. So all of them came. And Adam inspected them. And the Bible says and Adam named all of them and God was like, yeah, fine. I love that. That's wonderful. Every single thing that Adam named, God was happy with it. Because Adam had the fullness of God inside of him. He had the nature of God. He had the power of God. He had the understanding of God. And so he could do God-like things. And the truth is, this is the case for all of us here. God never intended for us to do anything without seeing him, without knowing him, without knowing what he's about. He wanted to be right. He actually wants to be right here with us, working in step with us. The Bible says that God would walk with Adam in the cool of the day. Everything that Adam did, God was right there with him. But when Adam fell, we, the Bible says we fell short of the glory of God. And so God could no longer dwell with us physically and be with us and you know you know inspire and direct our moves and you know bring animals and bring things before us so we can name we lost that connection we lost that 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 symbioticism that we had with god so the question now is now that we've fallen short of the glory of god what is the way out and that's where faith comes in faith is the pathway to getting back to that position where we are one with God. We are the same with God. God is with us. And everything we do, we do in his image and his likeness, in his power and his authority. Faith bridges the gap between fallen man and perfect God. Faith is the access point between us and God. It is what opens up the channels of heaven for God to now dwell with us and speak to us. Faith allows for God's purposes on the earth to be established so i'm going to just back some of this up with scripture because i feel like i've been talking and the best way to explain this is to use the bible so if you open your bibles with me again to mark 11 21 to 24 in the niv so if you've been again you if this story is if we know this story um, it's about how Jesus cursed the fig tree. In verse 21, it says, In the morning, um, okay, I'm reading in the NIV. It says, In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree <laughs> you cursed has withered. So let me let me paint this a bit more vividly. So, what happened the day before was Jesus was going somewhere, he walks by this tree. The tree has leaves but has no fruits, and Jesus is like, Ah, 
what's all this? And Jesus is like, look, you are cursed. And he's like, boop, 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 and he starts to go his way. And so they go to some place, you know, they do the administration. Jesus, you know, preaches. Everybody's, oh, wow, wonderful. And then they go back home. And in the morning again, they are getting up to go where they are going. And as they are walking by the tree, I'll point something out to you. Jesus does not point out the tree. Jesus is walking with 12 of his disciples. He doesn't point out the tree. He knows intimately that that tree is already dead. But Peter, who is very observant, wants to be walking and says, ah, guys, wait, 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 stop, come on. He says, sir, excuse me, sir. This tree that you cursed yesterday is dead. And Jesus answers them and says this. He says, have faith in God. And that phrase is the basis for our entire lives. Have faith in God. If you read that phrase in the actual Greek, it says, have the faith of God. Have God's kind of faith. Because God's kind of faith is what does this. Verse 23, it says, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So we see Jesus teaching the disciples how to go from this falling state where they are to a state where they and God are like in Eden again. Commanding things that were not to be as though they were. Commanding things that did not exist or things that were alive to be dead. That's how God did it in Eden. It wasn't there before, dies. Something that was dead, you speak to it, it comes alive. Because the faith of God works like that. Jesus is teaching the disciples how to transform and change their world. Faith is not for things, people. Faith is not for money. Faith is not for, for, for you know, for boyfriend. I mean, yes, it is. Don't get me wrong. Because some people will come and shoot me after. But that is not the primary reason why God has given us faith. Faith is to transform your world. Say it with me. Faith is for transforming my world. Faith is for transforming my world. That's what Jesus is saying to them. And you see the example. When Jesus is talking to them, Jesus does not use an example of, you know, money. He does not use an example of if you want a child or if you want a spouse. He talks about something that is world transforming. If you see this mountain, you don't like it, send it away. If you come in contact with anything in your world that you don't like, you have the power to change it. The same way God has. The Bible talks about how in the beginning, the earth was without form and void. There was nothing. And God didn't like it. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And immediately it was changed. The faith of God is for transforming your world. That's how Adam ruled in the Garden of Eden. By the creative power of God, he was able to transform the things around him. Let me give an example. We read in the Bible that when the, the animals came, Adam named them. Adam named the animals what he wanted them to be. But more than that, he was calling them what they will continue to become. So, for instance, if he said lion, immediately that lion became a lion that day and was going to continue to become a lion forever and ever. You, you know this song now, we love it. As you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are formed. There's a line there that says, when you speak, creation evolves in pursuit of what you said. The word of God comes out of his mouth and he starts running and everything else behind it follows that word. That is what the faith of God is for. That is why God has put his word in your mouth. So you will speak something, that word starts to go and everything else that's behind it must conform to it. 
is to change your world not so you can have material things i mean yes material things are good but your faith is to transform your if you don't like nigeria the way it is you change it you speak a word that word goes forth and everything in nigeria starts to transform at the sound of that word faith is to transform your world god has given us that same creative power if you see something dead in your life you call it to life that same creative the bible says the same power that raised jesus up from the dead lives in me imagine using the power that resurrected jesus christ for beans and rice people of god we are more than that we are more than conquerors we see how faith works faith let's take these things down faith creates things faith frames things faith moves things faith preserves things and faith changes things that's how it works faith will create something the bible says through faith we understand that the worlds in these successive ages were framed by the word of god that means that every world that has been will be and will continue to be is consistently continuously pursuing the word of god that has been spoken so faith creates it and it frames it the bible says god said to the water don't pass here and it didn't pass there god said to the land you don't pass here and it didn't pass there he gave everything their boundaries by faith faith moves things jesus said to them okay you don't like this mountain move it to the sea you don't like this sycamore tree move it into the ocean that's the power i've given you faith preserves things the bible says that by faith hebrew women receive their dead back to life they say i don't like you dead i'm calling you back to life and i'll preserve you by the power of the word of god faith changes things the tree that was alive yesterday shriveled up and died today by faith and this is the reason why let me give you another tidbit this is the reason why we see in the bible that the bible says that you know and, and rebecca named her children esau because one because it was hairy and jacob jacob had not done anything at the point of his naming but because of the word the creative power in the mouth of his mother she spoke his name he said supplanter that's your name and everything in jacob's life from that point onward became supplanting he was doing all kinds of terrible things because of the creative power in the word in the mouth of his mother so that's why we don't name uh, Yoruba people will name their old Oriel Feluas Darasimi calling the child what that child is going to be forever and ever the power of God has been placed in your mouth and you must use it to create the world you want let's let, I was going to let me let me give this example let's read it in the Bible Matthew 17 14 I want to just give you a candid example of how faith operates Bible says, and when they had come to the, when they had come to, okay, let me provide some context. It's because of this time, we go, we move, no problem. Let's provide some context. So what happened was, Jesus goes to the mountain to pray. And what he does is he takes the three MVP disciples. So Peter, James, and Don, Badest, John, Badest, oh yeah, follow me. And there they go, MVPs, about this life you get now. So they go, they see Jesus transfigured and everything, massive miracle, ah, in fact, the point was, <laughs> Peter said, look, just Jesus, wait till you, Elijah, all of you just wait. Let me first build a, an altar for you, then we move. That's how amazing the experience they had was. 
And so Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not what this is about. Calm your spirit, calm down, let's go down. So they go back down. As they're coming down, they meet Rockos at the bottom of the mountain. And while they are there, the Pharisees are arguing with the remaining nine non-MVPs, the ones on the bench. They're arguing with them. And so while they're arguing, Jesus comes and says, look, what's all this nonsense? And a man runs out to the crowd and says, Lord, hello, sir. Let, let's read it together. Um, Matthew 17, 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, next verse, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. Next uh, account. What do we have? It says, sir, nothing. Okay, what do we have present with us? He said, you know, seven loaves of bread and X number of fish. And Jesus blesses it and he used to feed 4,000 people. And there were seven baskets remaining. That's just six days before. So that's, let's say, on Monday. Then on Sunday, Jesus goes to go and get transfigured. And this happens. And the same disciples that had seen the creative power of God came in contact with a demon and they were stumped. And so Jesus says this. Let's read the next verse. I'm praying for you guys. Let me open it in my own Bible so you won't fall my hand. Ah, right, here we go. Then Jesus answered. Now, question. Answered who? The disciples, yes. The man, yes. But you'll see who really answered. He said, Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation. So it's not just the disciples, the nine, and the father, and the child, and the Pharisees. Plus the MVPs who are just coming down, all of them. Faithless and perverse generation. He says, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Next verse. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Jesus is essentially saying to the whole group of people, he says, look, you've seen me feed the 5,000. You've seen me feed the 4,000 just by the creative power in my mouth. Just by the power that dwells on the inside of me. You've seen me do these massive miracles and yet none of you has decided, look, this thing that Jesus did, let me to attempt it. Let me to do it. I must do the same thing. A whole generation. And that tells us a story. It means that a lot of us can come in contact with the power of God physically, tangibly and still not have the spirit of faith we can see miracles happen in our midst and still not have the spirit of faith because the spirit of faith is not something that is transmitted it's something that is caught you don't, it's not because you've seen it happen that you have it you must want it for yourself you must want that ability to transform your world for yourself so we understand now we have a mandate from God Create, move, preserve, change, modify the world until it becomes the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. That is our mandate. The only thing that can get this done is the spirit of faith and the words of faith. So our faith has the power to create and order worlds. Imagine limiting this massive power of God to just rice and beans. Oh God, give me bread. God, give me this. See how God operates in the lives of some of the people in the Bible. And I'm just going to use a couple of examples. Abraham, and, and I want to be clear. There's nothing wrong with asking God for things. Absolutely nothing wrong. God will do, the Bible says God will perform the counsel of his messengers. God will do what we need. But you see, it must line up with his macroscopic view. Abraham wants a son. 
As a matter of fact, Abraham wants a son and doesn't tell God about it because he doesn't know God. God is the one who says to him, you know what, you need a son I'm going to give you. Why? Because God needed a new generation of people. So there's nothing wrong with wanting a son. But does your son wanting, in quotes, line up with my view for this new move that I'm about to do? Moses wanted restoration. He was in the house of Egypt. You know, he had run away. He had lost everything. Went to go and live. The Bible says in the backside of the desert. So think, you know, this is Lagos now. Think like, what's the name of that place? After Ajah, after Elajah, Lakwe, around that side. Lakwe is even still fancy. After Lakwe, that far, far side. Imagine coming from Lekki One or VI and then you now run to go and live somewhere around Lakwe. Moses wanted restoration. But God said to him, what you want is fine, but I'm going to use what you want to deliver a whole nation. See how we think so microscopically, but God is thinking macroscopically. Hannah needed a son. God needed a prophet. My question to you now is, the thing you are currently asking God for, is it for you or is it for God to use? Does what you are currently asking God for line up with his macroscopic view of, of, of the world? Or are you just asking them, like Jesus said, so you can consume it on your own lusts? That is the question. So God is always looking for people who will use their faith to establish his kingdom in their surroundings. The greatest expression of your faith is always this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Essentially saying, look God, here is where we are currently at in the world today. The world is this way. But I know that you want it to be this way. So I'm using all of the creative power I have to translate the world from here, where it is, to here, where you want it to be. That is the real reason for our faith. Is anybody listening to me today? And that's why Jesus at Gethsemane could say the same. He says, look God, not my will, but thy will be done. Let me put it in English. See, I would rather live. Eh? I'd rather be alive. I want to jai. I want to lola. I want to lalafia. Do you understand? But I understand that me living does not fit into your macroscopic view right now. And so I will submit what I want, which is to live and <laughs> to enjoy myself, to what you want, which is for the entire world to be redeemed back unto you. And so in that process, it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Faith in God is for the fulfillment of destiny. Say it with me. Faith in God is for the fulfillment of destiny. And our destiny is to dominate, to subdue, to to, to multiply, to generate the kingdom of God here on the earth. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first. I'm going to say this very clearly to everybody here. Matthew 6.33, if you don't know it, write it down. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Not seek only. Seek first the kingdom of God. Once the kingdom of God is set to everything else can come. Seek first the kingdom of God. So, as we start to wrap up, now that we know our mandate, and we know the tool that we have to fulfill that mandate, which is the word and the spirit of faith, how does it actually work? Now, I'm going to give you a couple of pointers here. Jesus points out a couple of people. Mark 4, verse 40. Jesus is sleeping on the boat. Again, I want to be clear. I'm going to show you something. 
all the people that Jesus addressed in these three portions of scripture that I'm going to show you, they were all disciples. The same 12 guys. At one point, Jesus is sleeping on the boat. The wind and the waves, they said the wind and the waves started to get a bit, you know, gra gra. And all of a sudden, they're like, <laughs> I imagine Peter was probably at the front of the line because the way they went to go and wake Jesus up very aggressively, excuse me, sir, what's your problem? Do you not care that we are dying? How can you be sleeping? And Jesus says to them, so here's what Jesus does. Jesus understands that the world is currently in a state of disorder. But what God wants is a world that is in a state of order. So Jesus addresses it. First, the kingdom of God. The Bible says, Jesus stands, he you know, says to them, and he rebukes the storm and he says, peace be still. As soon as that disorder has been translated into order, then he now looks at all the cowards behind him and says, why are you so fearful? <laughs> How is it that you have no faith? Look, we come to church every Sunday. Pastor Chi and all our prayer warriors will come on stage and you see them sweating. Nigeria, you will not fail. Nigeria, you will not die. The question is, what are you doing with your faith in that moment? Are you also panicking and jackpying? Or are you using your faith to translate Nigeria from a state of disorder to a state of order? Because the degree to which you exercise your faith in that moment will determine whether you are one of little faith or no faith or great faith. Matthew 16, let's talk about the people of little faith because this is the category that me and many people fall into sometimes. Matthew 16, 8. <sighs> Lord have mercy on me. Holy Spirit, please help me. So I'll, I'll give this. <laughs> First of all, again, like I said, the same disciples, 12 guys. It's amazing how they can transition from no faith to little faith to just anyhow, anyhow. So, <laughs> let, me, let me provide some context. The, a few days before, um, so, and this is why we read the Gospels together, so we get the full picture, the full timeline. So, a few days before, Jesus has just fed a bunch of people with uh, five loaves of bread and three fish. And so, and again, sorry, shamelessly, this is why you need to come for our maturity class because we addressed this two weeks ago if you guys were there. But I need to just drop that. Anyway, so Jesus has fed five, you know, and two fishes and everything and everybody is, oh, wow, 12 extra baskets, you know. It's like, man, this food for days. What do you mean? It's amazing food. And so that happens. Then a few days later, Jesus is like, okay, guys, um, I'm going across the road. So I'm going from VI. I'm going to like Lekki side. Let's go. Everybody enter the boats. So they get on the boats. And Peter is like, James, our father, John was up. Ah. He said, bro, now only one loaf of bread we bring. Now only one loaf. And the Bible says, while they are talking amongst themselves, just, Jesus, says, Jesus says to them, he says, Jesus being aware of it. So again, it's not as if he heard them. The spirit of God provoked him. Because at that point in time, the spirit of God is saying to them, look, there's a state of disorder going on. The Bible says, Jesus being aware of it, said to them, O ye of little faith, sorry, Matthew 16, 8. O ye of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Jesus is saying to them, look, <laughs> you just seen me do this miracle of transforming five loaves of bread and three fish or two fish into excess plus 12 baskets. And all of a sudden, your mind has gone from a state of plenty of faith because after they saw that, they all marveled among themselves that, wow, this, I mean, you don't mean this my guy? This guy can actually make bread. And in a, in a few days, they had gone from that state of faith to a state where they were doubting and panicking over one loaf of bread. 
And Jesus said something very instructive to them. If you read it in Mark, it says, it says, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? The key to great faith is seeing what God has seen and done, hearing what God has done, but more importantly, remembering what God has done. Because see, it's when you remember that see, the same God I'm serving healed this person. The same God I'm serving raised the dead to life. The same God I'm serving did this, did that, changed all of this disorder into a state of order. Then it inspires your faith. And the people who remember, the Bible says, the testimony of God is my inheritance. The amazing things that God has done in the past, they are for me to always hold on to. So that whenever I'm in a state of disorder, I can immediately stand on the word of God and start to transform that disorder into a place of order. So again, little faith, I'm sorry, no faith, little faith, and great faith. The key, I want to point something out again, just as we start to wrap up. The difference between your faith and my faith is not liters. Like you can't say, oh, me, I have two liters of faith. You know, Pastor Dami has 12 liters, so our own faith is more than mine. And then Pastor Sholau is a man of God and everything, 60 to 80 liters, depending on which day you meet him. That's not what it is. The Bible says that unto each and every one of us, God has given the measure of faith. The amount of faith that I have, my own five liters, is five liters with you, five liters with you. Everybody got the same amount. Jesus Christ had the same amount of faith in him that I have in me. The difference between his faith and mine is that he chose to exercise it, to use it to, to change worlds from disorder to order. Consistently, from a young age, consistently exercising his faith so that he could always transform the things that he didn't want according to the will of God into the things that he wanted them to be. That is the difference between somebody who has no faith, someone who has little faith, and someone who has great faith like Josh. So, side, let me give you an example just to try and tie this in. Look, we all have the same amount of muscle. Now, forget the fact that I weigh more than you. If they weigh our muscle, and my own muscle and your own muscle, and obviously I've used mine a bit, but when we are born, the muscle amount is the same. But my friend Ugo, who pumps iron every day, exercising those muscles, exercising, exercise. He has great faith. Me, I have great fat. And the person who is skinny like Shola, who does not exercise his muscle every day, he has little faith. The degree to which your faith is, the, the amount that you, of faith you have, Pastor, I've done first closing, second closing, third closing. Okay, we move. Matthew 8, verse 5 to 10. Please open with me in your Bibles. Pastor PJ. Matthew 8, 5 to 10. Hey, multimedia, I prayed for you people this morning. No? Okay, let's do this. Matthew 8, 5 to 10. If this was in Ibarra now, one and two will have risen. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Okay, here we go. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him. Next verse. Saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am unworthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Let's stop here. Ooh, multimedia, I love you guys. Let's stop here for a quick second. So essentially what happens is, the centurion understands that his world is in a state of disorder. One, his servant is sick and he, he qualifies it. He's not just sick. You know there's sick, there's that 
nice sick way, you know, when your boyfriend calls you, you can still look at him on the phone and talk to him and everything. Then there's the sick and dreadfully tormented one. When you stand up from your bed, even your parents are like, whoo! That's where his servant was, in a state of disorder. And the centurion says to him, look, Lord, I understand that you are a great God. I'm not worthy. He says, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Next verse. He says, because I am a man under authority and I have soldiers under me and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Next verse. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed him, again, who are following him, please? The disciples. He says, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So Peter, James, John, all of you feeling like your MVPs, your muscle not reach this guy. And that is the difference. This guy's faith was great for one simple reason. He understood how God worked. He understood that if something is in disorder here, God has certain laws and principles that he will enact consistently to get the thing from that place of disorder to this place where it is ordered. His understanding of spiritual laws was what, was what gave him great faith. He understood that, look, the same way that I say to my, my soldiers, go, and they go, on the basis of what I say alone, and come, and they come, on the basis of what I say alone, that same creative power I have in my mouth is the same creative power you have, only in the spirit realm. So speak to your ministering spirits, your ministering soldiers, tell them to go. You and I will wait here. The same way my own soldiers run, once I call them, they will go. He understood the spiritual principle, and he was working with that. Let's read another example. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. If you can put it on the screen, please. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Next verse. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy, O Lord, on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter, amazing. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So again, not just sick. This is total disarray. But he, but he answered not a word. <laughs> and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Excuse me, sir. Wait, hold up, hold up. Sir, this woman is disturbing me. Send her away. She's crying. Why is she crying? And she answered and said, I was not sent except to the lordship of the house of Israel. Next verse. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Another message for another day. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Next verse. Then Jesus answered. So I want you to show you three things. She says something, Jesus answers. She says something, again, Jesus answers. She says a third thing that now suddenly shows an understanding of spiritual principles. And Jesus says this to her. Oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. A lot of us go to God crying. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. And Jesus answers. Bah, 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 bah. This is how I operate. But we don't hear. Lord, help me. This is how I operate. What God is looking for in that moment is an understanding of spiritual principles, spiritual laws. The Bible says to me, to us, it says, see, prove your cause. Bring your strong reason. 
Show me that you understand how I work. And then prove, make a demand and see if it will not be done. The reason why a lot of us don't receive the answers to our prayers is because we have shown that we don't have an understanding of how things work in the spirit realm. So it is important for us to learn how the things of God operate. <sighs> Mercy. Sam has come to do the whole you need to wrap up thing. So I'm wrapping up. Right. So let's just, as we close, finally, finally. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals the truth of the spiritual operation to us. When we pray in the Spirit, when we read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit takes what we have read, the testimony of God, the things God has done in the Bible, and He starts to process them for us, showing us, see, this is how the law of physics works. This is how the law of lift works in the, in the spiritual realm. This is how the law, that's what happens when you read our books. You read your book, you meditate on what the textbook says, what your teacher says, and the two things combined together start to paint a picture in your mind of how this law operates. It's the same thing in the spiritual realm. When you read your textbook, the Word of God, and you listen to your teacher, the Holy Spirit, he will start to paint pictures in your mind of how the spiritual laws we use operate. When I say to you, rice, you don't see the letter R-I-C-E in your head. You see a picture of rice. Words paint pictures. The same way the Word of God paints a picture in our minds. And it's the people who have a clear picture in their mind of what God is doing that have true faith. The degree to which that picture in your mind is clear is the degree of faith you have. The proportion of clarity you have in your mind is the proportion of faith you have. So my question to you all today is, what seest thou? What picture do you see? When you talk to God, who do you see? The Bible says, Moses endured because he saw him that was invisible. The Bible says, David said, I have set the Lord before me and he's at my right hand. When I'm praying, I see God sitting in front of me. I see the Holy Spirit at my right hand. When I'm driving, I see God in front of me. I see the Holy Spirit in my passengers. Sorry, Daniel, wherever you are. So, three things to do. <laughs> you people, I will still beat you. Okay. Three things to do. <laughs> you are trying to send me away. I'll be, okay. Three things to do. Sorry, as we... Number one. <laughs> Have the Word of God in your heart. Read the Bible consistently. Number two, pray in the Spirit regularly. Because as you pray in the Spirit, you process the Word of God. You take the Word of God, it's like paint on a canvas. You start painting a picture. The more paint you have, the more clarity that the more clear that picture is. The more paint you have, the more detail you can add to that picture. Imagine painting only in black. It will not form a nice picture. But if you paint with black, yellow, blue, red, white, you can add detail. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the paint with which to paint that picture in your mind. And the last thing is this. Do not give up the fight. There's always a process between disorder and order. There's always a process between asking and receiving. Do not give up the fight. Jesus had to wait for one day for the fig tree to transform. Esther had to fast for three days for salvation to come for her and her people. Daniel fasted 21 days until the answer came. Abraham, 25 years until he received his son. Hold on to the promise of God. Pray in the Spirit. Study the Word and ask God for the wisdom and revelation of how He operates. And we will begin to see God 
manifest in our lives. Let's stand on our feet as we pray. If you've been blessed by that word of God, give God the praise. Give God thanksgiving. Give God the praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, God of my future, you write my story. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.